Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. And now you are ready to receive the word of the Lord. So at New Abbey, we believe in conversations. If you find three or four people around you and answer this lighthearted question, what have you looked to as an authority in your life? And answer that in the next four minutes. Enjoy. I have three kids. I talk about my kids a lot. Classic dad, right? I'm like, what else do I have to talk about? I got three, three children. You can clap for kids. It's good. Yeah. We're all kids once. Uh, my, my middle son is the one I'm like most sensitive about. He's just like a lover. His little heart, like he like cares for animals. He like holds, like he draws hippos every single day, right? <laughs> Tells me how much he loves them because of how chubby that they are. Reminds me that I have chubby cheeks and that's why he loves me. Like he's an angel. And he's also just sensitive to other things. And so uh, my wife is picking him up from school and we've noticed this pattern where at school when they're kind of go, go, you know, walking back to the car, he's been like screaming at her in front of everybody. And I'm like, well, that's not how that's going to go anymore, right? And so he's working through something and we're trying to help him figure out what are the things that he's working through. And so he, my wife gets home one day, and she's like, it was, it was pretty awful. Like, Bryce got out, and he started screaming at me in front of everybody, and he's, like, trying to kick me. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, time a little, little dad conversation. So I, I bring Bryce in the room, and we start to have a little talk, and he's so sweet. Like, I can just see it in his little eyes. I'm trying to figure out, like, what's going on? Is there more to the story here that we don't quite know about? And he's telling me all of these different things, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, thank you, that, that helps me understand why you were frustrated, and you felt like mommy walked off without you, but you could still see her, so she was there, did we have other options? You know, we're trying to help a human being become a human being here, and it's a lot of work. It's hard work being human beings, people, and so we're having this conversation, and I said, okay, well, this is good, but I want you to know you still need to have a little bit of time in your room. You kind of need to think about this because this is something that can't happen anymore. It's not good for you. It's not good for mom, and we need to be healthy. And he, and he starts yelling at me, and he's like, Dad, I hate you, and I'm angry at you, and it's not okay that you're sending me in my room. I'm like, totally understand why you're frustrated, but you still, you know, you got to go to your room, and you got to reflect on this a little bit. So he comes back, and he has written a letter to me, and the letter goes like this. Here's my six-year-old from Bryce. You are very, V-E-R-E, very, not kind, with a C. Um, and I can't read that one, so I'll read it from here. And then it says, you are not fun to play with. Love, Bryce. But also because he's like a gentle angel, like, you are smart, you are a kind dad, right? He did both. He's like, I'm going to punch and patch you, right? This is like how the Southern Baptists do it. You know, like, bless her heart, she's a whore. Like, you know, you heard that stuff. Like, you start... You got to give them a little good so that you can tear them down. Anyone from the South, you know how that goes, right? Yeah, if somebody's like, I know. Yeah, if, some, if bless her heart comes out of your auntie's mouth, shit's coming down, right? Yeah, they're about to say some awful things about a human being, right? And then again, you are very men, I think mean. So, and he comes in the room, and I'm so proud of him that he wrote me this letter. He was expressing his emotions, he was feeling it out, and he says to you, Dad, I'm mad at you, and I love you. And I'm like, yes, you're right. You're a six-year-old, and you can already hold the complexity of those things. You can be mad. You can be angry. You wrote a letter instead of, like, punching your sister. That's a win. 
And I think for so many of us, the process that we're learning, the reason maybe you come to a church like New Abbey is that you're learning this journey of your own internal authority. You're learning how to cultivate your own internal authority, that for so many of us, we grew up with these external authorities. And we are given these external authorities whether we want to or not, and we spend most of our early lives trying to please those external authorities. We try to please mom and dad and whatever version of life that they have. How much chaos happens in home? Not because something's going on with the kid, but because something's going on with mom and dad. And mom and dad are just in a place where they can't receive what the kid's going on, right? You receive an external authority about who a pastor is. That person up there somehow has more answers than you because they have theological debt. That's crazy. I'm glad that they know Greek and Hebrew, and they're entrusted with some things. Let's honor that, and if a pastor is up there trying to gain more authority for themselves and not empowering you to have more authority, then they're missing it. It's not about them. It's about your journey. It's about you learning to trust Jesus in your life, not you learning to trust the Jesus that's in that person's life. There's external authorities that we look to in politicians. I'm just amazed every time that we vote for a president, right? And then we're like, so upset with them. It's like, you knew this was going to happen. They're just human beings. Can you imagine how complex that job is, regardless of which side of political party and what's going on there? We look to external authorities all the time. We are a bunch of progressives or tend to be more progressive in a community like this. We look to external th- uh, authorities like therapists. Oh, my therapist now is going to have all of the answers for me. They're going to be helpful. And guess what? They maybe just had a bad night of sleep as well. They're helping you on the journey to learn to trust yourself. We're just constantly trading out one external authority for another external authority. And the journey that Jesus invites us into is, oh, how do you trust the authority of God and the internal authority that's already within you? And that is a process of cultivation. And I love the word cultivate because I love the imagery of it. For me, it's an imagery of like farming. There's like work that needs to be done there to cultivate something beautiful. Most of us just have a disconnected relationship with the food that we eat, right? Like I get carrots and they're already like plasticed up in a bag and they're shaved down and they're really small and right. But that's not how a carrot is made, right? There was cultivation that happened to create this like beautiful plant, right? That's, that's out in the wild and it's dirty and someone has to clean it off. And there's this whole process that goes around creating this wonderful thing that goes inside of you. And I think that the journey that we're on is learning to cultivate the good stuff that's inside of us. And it takes a process. And it takes a lot of maturity and it takes a lot of work. The easier thing to do is just to trust an external authority. The easier thing to do is now to find your favorite influencer and your favorite blogger like, they have all of the answers for me. I promise you they do not. They do not always look that good. The process that we're in is, oh, how do we take good stuff How do we find where wisdom is at? And it's in all kinds of places. And then how do we begin to cultivate in a way that it makes sense and that it's meaningful and that it's actually helpful for our lives and for the journey that we're on? I think Jesus was the master of inviting us into that process. And Jesus was the original deconstruction and reconstruction. Jesus is the person who challenged all of the external authorities of his day. He challenged the religious systems. He challenged the government systems. He challenged what it meant to be family. That's why you hear Jesus say all of these weird things. Who is my brother or sister? Which like 2,000 years ago in a Jewish audience, they're like, whoa, Jesus, we don't mess with the mamas around here. You know? But Jesus did because he's constantly trying to push us into a transformed place of being a human being. A transformed place of following God where we should question all kinds of things in our lives so that we can learn to be healthier and wise. 
that in a place of external authority, we're constantly looking for more and better answers. And in a place of internal authority, we're learning to trust the questions that we're asking ourselves. That our job as human beings, the job of the church is not to provide you with better answers, but to give you better questions. And that's what Jesus does. And so that's the process that we want to do together. So in order to cultivate some internal authority, we need to talk about some things. We're going to talk about external authority. We're going to talk about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Anyone been listening to that? Fun. The rest of you, if you don't know what that is, honestly, you're fine. There's a lot of great podcasts out there. Go enjoy yourself. Uh, Let's do a little bit of a Jesus reprise. And if we can do a Jesus reprise, then we need to think about a framework. And if we can talk about a framework, then we can come back to cultivating some things. And if we can do that, then we'll talk about a quadrilateral. Man, talk about exciting on a Sunday morning. We're going to go there, people. And if we can talk about a quadrilateral, then we can try it on. And if we can do that, then I think we can learn to trust. So I want to look at the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, Don't misunderstand me why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. I love what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not saying that external authorities are bad or evil, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying there either. Jesus is saying there are plenty of external authorities that can provide you a framework of health in your life, but you have to learn to go do the internal work with them. The law and the prophets still have something to say in your life, and, right, not either or, but both and Jesus is bringing us into, There are teachers of law, there are Pharisees, there's pastors, there's priests, there's whatever in your world that are giving you a version of the prophets and law, a version of God that is not helpful for your life. They're giving you a version of God that is oppressing you or suppressing you, which is generally just putting more power in the hands of those religious leaders and taking power out of your hands. So Jesus is naming it. There's some good stuff here for you. We're gonna go on the journey of figuring out the purpose of these things. There's a thing behind a thing. There's meaning here. There's value here. Let's go do the hard work of finding the value of those things. And then that will allow you to ask better questions in life. That will allow you to be a more uh, a healthier human being who can thrive in different ways. Jesus goes on to say, So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's fun. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Again, we don't really use the word kingdom in our world anymore. We don't live in that type of uh, space or governments, but we can maybe substitute the word kingdom for reality. That Jesus is inviting us into a bigger reality. And that reality is on earth as it is in heaven which is a way of saying there's a way that God sees the world. There's a way that God wants human beings to live and to thrive. And and Jesus is trying to invite you into that greater reality and that you can begin begin to learn to trust yourself in that process. Jesus goes on to say this a few verses later. But I say, if you, oh, then we missed one part. Yeah, go scroll back. No, do we have that part? We're missing a verses. Pause as I bring up my phone. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Jesus says this in verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. 
So there Jesus is doing something really powerful. You have heard that our ancestors have told. You have heard that there's some external authorities that have told you that there's a certain way to live life, that you shall not murder. And for a Jewish audience, Jesus is getting to something even bigger there. Jesus is talking about the 10 commandments. Jesus is saying, remember that moment where Yahweh came down onto a mountain where the kavod, the glory of God shone, and God said, here are some simplistic things for you to live your life. And one of those commandments was don't murder which is like, duh, right? But as human beings, it seems simple, and yet we do it all of the time. We justify violence and the murdering of other human beings, and then the bigger the system, the more complex we make it, and the more that we justify how that violence is okay. At an individual level, we're always like, yeah, don't kill, but when the government does it, we're like, well, I still get to drive my Tesla. And we should challenge those things. We should ask ourselves bigger questions about the world that we're living into. So Jesus is saying, yes, external authority has power in your life, and now let's get to the real purpose of what that's trying to say. Then verse 22 says this, but if I say you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, the the word here is actually raka, and raka, if you've been to church before, you've heard this kind of things, it's, it's just an incredible insult that you're throwing at somebody. You're demeaning them, you're dismissing them, you're really dehumanizing who they are. You are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Let me always pause on this one because it's a room of deconstructed people. When Jesus says the fires of hell, he does not mean eternal damnation where there's a little devil with a pitchfork and there you're going to burn for all of eternity. When he means the fires of hell, literally the word means Gehenna. There was a trash dump outside Jerusalem and Jesus is using imagery to let you know, stop being a jerk so that you, like, he's using a metaphor of saying, you don't want to live a life where you're living out there. You don't want to live a life where you're living in the garbage heaps. You don't want to live a life in that way. He's not sending us to some eternal damnation. That's a total another sermon for another day. But if you want some resourcing on that, I can help you with it. Jesus is trying in some ways to give us, move us towards some internal authority. Jesus will go on to say this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What I love that what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting us into self-awareness and into ownership. Again, Jesus is moving us into a place of internal authority and learning to trust ourselves. Jesus is moving us to a place of saying, the easier thing to do is just a checklist of what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. Did anyone feel that they grew up in a world where they were given some type of arbitrary checklist and you're like, this is just gospel truth? The rest of you, like, praise God that you don't have those therapy bills then. (laughs) Any of you ever have the conversation with your youth pastor where you needed to have that question of how far is too far? Again, the rest of you, praise God that you don't have those therapy bills. That what we so often do in the church is we go to somebody and we're asking ourselves these questions, not because we're evil or they're evil or we're bad or they're bad. We're trying to get a sense of right and wrong. We're trying to get a sense of how to navigate our lives as human beings in the world. But the problem with going to some external authority all of the time and not learning to eventually trust your own internal authority is that it can create a lot of complications because the right answer for this person is not always the right answer for you. And it takes a lot of work to be able to figure that out. Now, some of you are like, Corey, this sounds like relativism. Uh, This sounds like Jesus. And so Jesus is constantly pushing the boundaries of how we understand truth. Not that truth is, let me say it this way. Jesus is pushing the boundaries of truth so that we have to take ownership for the truth that we actually believe. 
And so that we have to go practice those things. Jesus is inviting you into a life of practice, and that's a lot harder work than just accepting the words of what somebody else says. And as you live in, oh, we can clap, I'll take it, let's move it, yeah, I'll take some energy. It's hot in here, right? It's October, I think the AC says it's on, but I'm pretty sure it's blasting out heat, and I'm sweating. So a little clappy, happy church, well, thank you, appreciate that, Morgan, that's a gift from God. So Jesus is moving into this place of trusting internal authority. But here's where Jesus starts. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus starts with his own authority. You have heard it said, this is what the prophets and the laws and the Ten Commandments told you, but I say to you, Jesus is doing something radical there. Jesus is saying there's a new authority in this place. And this new authority, I want you, and we're going to think about this in a more robust way, is rooted in the incarnation that God that the, the one who creates all things, that the most powerful being in the universe, the one who has all of authority, right, comes and humbles himself and makes himself, herself as a human being. What a gift. And that God does that so that we have a model of how we can live as human beings. Again, what I always want to remind us of in the life of Jesus is if we want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. When somebody tells you something about who God is and you don't see it in the life of Jesus, that's not what God is like. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. How do you see God treating people? How do you see God standing against oppression? How do you see Jesus living into kindness and compassion? How do you see Jesus approach gentleness? Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And so in the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus has authority because Jesus understands his identity. And his identity is rooted back right into the baptism where God speaks over Jesus and says, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. It's why we begin every gathering with that reminder of those words. We're reminding ourselves of the authority that is true about us. That if it's true of Jesus and it's true of us, if God is speaking these things over his son, he's speaking these things over all of his children. And so Jesus' authority is rooted in his understanding of his identity and being loved by God and a child son of God, right? And being enjoyed by God. And going back to my child, how many kids would be healthier if their parents gave them that healthy identity, right, instead of a list of arbitrary rules? Sometimes we create arbitrary rules, and we're so busy trying to honor the arbitrary rules that we miss the human being. And so Jesus comes around and doesn't miss the human being. Jesus invites us into a more radical idea of who we are. So Jesus moves from an external authority. Jesus brings the authority to himself. And then Jesus gets to a place in these verses where he says, now you got to go do the hard work and find some internal authority within yourself. I just want to give us a few tools this morning to think about how we can trust some internal authority within ourselves. There's this fancy thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. You can look it up, but I'm explaining it to you really simply. Here's a picture of a quadrilateral. This is just one tool. We got it? There we go. Scripture, tradition, experience, reason. Back in the days of the Reformation, there's a bunch of people trying to ask themselves some bigger questions about how do we be a human being? How do we have uh, external authorities that lead to our own internal transformation? That for the Protestant church, they were looking to sola scriptura. They were looking to the scripture as a means to find answers for life because they were rebelling against, they were deconstructing and reconstructing a new reality away from the Catholic church, which was rooted in tradition. And then for the Catholics at the time, they're saying, oh, these people are going too far and they're deconstructing in some way and this is relativism and who gets to pick the authority? Every pastor is going to choose for themselves. Well, here's the great thing. We live 500 years later, so we get a little bit more insight than whatever was happening back then. What this is trying to say is tradition is important for you. The Bible wasn't written on its own. 
The Bible was not handed to George Washington on a Microsoft document through the hands of an eagle. <laughs> the Bible took 700 years as we know it to be formulated and put together. Those stories moved around and they shifted in some way that makes some people uncomfortable. But it was a process in which the church said, what's the most faithful witness and story that we're telling about Jesus? The books of the Bible that we have, particularly the New Testament, that was the question. Does it bring us closer to understanding who Jesus is as the Christ? And so tradition matters. Maybe we would say in our culture in this way, your ancestry matters. You're here today not because you came out of a vacuum. You're here today because a lot of other human beings did some stuff to get you here today. And we should honor that. Some of that is tradition, some of that is ancestry. It's this reality that we all stand on the, on the shoulders of giants. Even when our families and the traditions that we come from are all messed up, praise God that we're here today. And within those traditions and within that ancestry, there's wisdom to be taken. Also within those traditions and within that ancestry, there's things to be like, no, that's crazy. We have science, right? We no longer have to pretend that the world is flat. We're like, no, we have telescopes. There's all kinds of things that we've advanced on in the world, but then there's other traditions and ancestry that we need to how we understand who we are and how we live. Scripture is vitally important. I believe that. I, I'm not someone who's thrown Scripture away and like, oh, it has nothing to say. No, I have a more robust view of Scripture now, and I'm excited that Scripture feels like human beings. I was taught for so long that scripture is divine, that scripture is the word of God, that it's inherent, that it has no, right, there's no issues with it. And then you actually read the thing and you're like, ah, but what about that? And they'd be like, don't ask questions. No, there's some questions to be had. Because the beauty of scripture, it's, it's a human journey. It's a people of faith who are experiencing God. And as those people experienced God throughout history and throughout time, they took two steps forward and they took one step back. Sometimes they took three steps forward and five steps back. And the Bible is honest with us about that. And the Bible you, you feel this dance and this, this kind of movement and this evolution to it. That's why it's so powerful when you get to Jesus that even Jesus is saying that this thing evolves, right? You have heard it said, but I say unto you. What if there's a bigger story out here and that scripture still has something to say? And I always wanna bring that up in a progressive community like ours because sometimes I think that we're scared to still trust the Bible. And I find that fascinating. You should expand other things that you trust. You can like meditate, go on a jog, like trust your body again. There's good things out there. But I'm also curious for people like, I'm deconstructing the Bible and it's all a lot of patriarchy. Like, but this blogger, I'm like, really? <laughs> Lasted thousands of years and worked for billions of people. But because this person all of a sudden has a certain amount of likes, they have more authority. That's just odd to me. I'm not saying that this person can't have authority. I'm not saying that this person can't have good things to say. All I'm saying is don't trade one external authority for another. What I'm saying is do some work. See that within scripture, that it's eternally true because it works in each generation. And each generation has new things to say about it because we just have more information, right? So our generation is like, yeah, it's kind of crazy that there was probably not belly buttonless people who lived in a garden 6,000 years ago. How do we knew that? Because we've read some books. So we got to like re-understand these early mythological stories of Christianity and within Judaism to say, oh, maybe the stories that we were given, they were just incomplete because we just didn't know more information. That doesn't mean we have to throw it out. It says, oh, what if they still have something beautiful and truth-telling to give us as human beings? And so we re-examine scriptures and they can hold more meaning. It doesn't have to be scary just because we've learned more information. 
So we hold on to tradition, we hold on to scripture, and then what I love about this is we hold on to experience. In fact, if you were asking me, I would tilt this little quadrilateral thing on, on, on like a diamond and experience would be at the bottom. And people from the left and the right would be terrified that I'm saying that. But there's a lot of people who said that throughout church tradition. The recognition is this. Whatever scripture says, whatever tradition has for you, you're living it through your life. So even if there is some world where these things are, there's somehow an absolute, which I don't even think the Bible is trying to be an absolute. It never even says it's an absolute to you. It's not what it's telling you it is. The point of it is you still have an experience and you still have to interpret this thing on your own because you're just living your life as a human being and you're figuring it out and your experience and where you were born and your identity and your race and your family and the things that you ate and the vacations that you did or didn't have and how your parents treated you when you were yelling at your whatever coming home from school, that shaped the way that you've interpreted God. And that's okay to admit that. It's okay to say, my experience has uniquely made me but also, because I'm learning to cultivate some deeper things, I can also realize that every single thing that I feel in every single moment is also not absolutely true. Have any of you ever had a feeling and then you had some dinner and then all of a sudden you felt differently because you realized you were just hangry? That's not wild. But sometimes we live in this world where we're just trading radical things for radical things. You're trading like every single word of the word of God is true and there's nothing wrong with it to like everything I've ever felt is absolutely true. Really? Because I've felt some shit and it's not always true. But we learn to validate those feelings because even when they're untrue, they have something to say to us. Oh, but that's complicated. And that takes a lot of internal authority and a lot of internal work. I love Byron Katie and she talks about it this way. Thoughts, feelings are just things that we associate thoughts to. They don't have to be associated that way. Let me give you an example. I've used this one in here before, but I love it so much. Picture a banana. You all just did. Think about how that banana tastes. You're thinking about it right now. Picture an orange. You all just did. Now, what happens is every time you see a banana, you think and you look at that banana, you're like, I know what bananas taste like. You have no idea what that banana tastes like. You only think you know how bananas taste because of all those other bananas. That banana may taste very differently. You ever bite into a banana, you're like, ah, something's wrong here, right? <laughs> you have associated a feeling, right, with a certain thought that you have about something. And so we do this with people all of the time. You have had a certain experience with person A, and you think, this person is a royal jerk. And then there's person B, C, D, and E, and you're like, this person's the greatest person that's ever lived on planet Earth. You're like, that's not the banana that I've tasted. And the thing is, what we do is that we can begin to really concrete those ideas and we begin to think, no, this person is like this, per this person is like this, this person is like this, always and forever, amen. But here's what's crazy about that reality. You don't ever want people to treat you that way. You want people to say, oh, this is this evolving, complex, beautiful, robust human being that is flourishing. And thank God that you are not the same person who wrote in your yearbook in high school because you've evolved and you've had some different feelings and you've had some different thoughts and that's okay. So the work that Jesus invites us into in these passages as we keep moving through the Sermon on the Mount is, is to continue to keep us learning and trusting in our own internal authority. But that doesn't just happen out of a vacuum. Jesus is saying you have to cultivate some things. You gotta try some things on and see if it works. And you might feel some things and think these things that aren't gonna be true in your life forever and that's okay. What if God is okay with your process and your journey and your evolution? And what if you need in your life community, 
faith, scripture, tradition. You need your ancestors. You need other things around you that will begin to help shape things within you so that you can begin to trust yourself and the journey that, you are with on, that you're within. And that's where God is constantly leading us. After that moment with Bryce, he, he went back into his room after he gave me his letter and I was trying to say like, you know, do you think you have something to say to mom? And he's like, no, I'm mad at mom right now. I want to kick mom. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe just like go breathe. Um, and, and, you know, I, like we're hearing a six-year-old, but you all know like I felt the same way all the time about people, right? If I could kick them right now, I would do it. And I reminded Bryce of some things of you're good and I love you and help daddy understand. I feel like the first time that you were telling dad the story, I was so, honestly, I was like, you kicked mom and like stuff's going to go down. And as we both had a chance to breathe, there was an opportunity to say, well, what were you so mad about? He's like, well, I had actually fallen and mom didn't see that I fell and I felt embarrassed. And so that's why I was yelling at her because I felt like she didn't see me. I was like, oh. And then I said, oh, that must have been really hard that you feel like mom didn't, didn't see you. But let's think about mom, right? He had a feeling that was associated, a thought that was associated with the feeling. Does mom generally hear you? Well, yeah. Does mom generally see you? All of the time. What if mom just literally didn't hear you this time? Not that mom was ignoring you or trying to hurt you. What if mom just didn't hear you? And he's like, okay. And I think that way about God. What if God is so holy and so other that God sees all of our needs, that God is truly listening and understanding us, and that's why God's okay with our evolution. And that's why God is okay with giving us a, a new authority within ourselves and trusting ourselves. And God's okay with the process. And so then Bryce writes this letter to us, and he comes back in the room, and it goes like this. And he says, love Bryce, I love how he starts. I love you, mom and dad. Dad, you are very, again, B-E-R-E. It's just, I'm gonna save this forever. Important in this family. Mom, you are very important in this family. You are very kind, mom and dad. You are very smart, dad and mom. <laughs> the point of it is this, that we're going to change and evolve in our own internal journeys. We might think and feel something one moment, and we might think and feel something a different moment when we just have more information. When we're a little bit further down the path, when, because we've surrounded ourselves with good people and that they can provide us a bigger perspective maybe of what's going on. That we can have this internal authority within us where we can say, oh, I'm not reading the Bible just for the sake of the Bible, reading the Bible to make God happy, but I'm reading it so that on the day that I need it, some of these stories about who I truly am as a human being will help shape me and help transform me and help create some gentleness and compassion with me for the way that I see the world. Oh, I want to know my tradition and my ancestry so that I can be guided, so that I can understand how to be human. That I want to keep putting these, I want to keep listening to that blogger. I want to keep listening to this TED Talk. I want to keep putting these good things inside of me so that as difficulty comes in life, I can continue to trust myself and cultivate something new and something more powerful, something more transformed as a human being. I want you to get back in those same groups and we're going to answer this question with one another. How can you cultivate internal authority? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.